electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, embattled crypto stock Longfin is under investigation by the SEC after what has been a roller coaster ride for the stock from a $5 stock to a $70 stock and then back again. Well, the CEO of Longfin, Venkat Minavili, who appeared on our show for a wild interview back in September, he's back again. So what does he think of the SEC investigation? We'll ask him. Plus, Mark Zuckerberg doing damage control and speaking to reporters moments ago after announcing 87 million users, up from the initial 50 million, had data misused by Cambridge Analytica. You heard him moments ago. We'll tell you what else he just said. But first, we start off with a dramatic day for the markets. The Dow sinking more than 500 points at the open, with Wall Street filled with trade war jitters. People were declaring the end of the Trump rally. But then a familiar face lent a hand. Former CNBC star Larry Kudlow to the rescue. Check him out. The newly anointed economic advisor calming fears about a full-blown trade war with China as the country begins to retaliate and even blowing kisses to a reporter, Kayla Tausche. And investors blew kisses right back at him. The Dow surging more than 700 points from that moment on. So with the globalists still in charge, trade war fears behind us. Is the market heading higher again, or is there still trouble ahead? Guy? I think there's trouble ahead, but you got to respect the price action. I mean, we've traded down to that 25.50, 25.80 level a couple times, held and bounced. I mean, today's reversal was impressive. We were here sitting on set yesterday. We are going to talk about yesterday's mm -hmm. market. Obviously, we got to usurp, but I would have said off of yesterday that that rally would continue. So the fact that we were down some 600 Dow points this morning would have flied in the face of everything that I thought was going to happen. And again, I'm not suggesting I saw this reversal coming either. But if you just look at the price action, it's impressive. One caveat. I think, and I think Tim probably agrees, What's that? this all started back in early February with a wage growth number that was a lot stronger than expected. Mm -hmm. If Friday's wage growth number is stronger than expected, I would submit We'll see the lows again. Well, I, I do agree with the guy, and, and it might have flown in the face of it, too. But, but ultimately, I, I think you've got a dynamic here where um, I don't think the trade tariffs are what's had the market um, solely so unnerved. And, and yes, so that's why the head fake of China retaliating again and maybe doubling down this morning was something that I think the markets appropriately responded. And, and love Larry and think Larry's view is certainly a, a healthy voice in the crowd um, but I think when you look at the dynamic that has equity markets under pressure, the reality is equities aren't worth the same amount in a 22-vol environment than they are at a 9. And, and we're in a very different risk environment for markets. And, and you know, we can go into there's There's a long list here. Right. But, but the good right. news here is we started to do the math on the impact on GM and the impact on Boeing and the impact on all these other industrial names, and we realize it's minimal. Yeah, but, you know, here's the thing. You know, markets don't like uncertainty. And what have we had just on economic issues over the last 24 to 48 hours? We've had the president saying one thing. We've had Peter Navarro kind of backing him up. Then we had Wilbur Ross on this morning, and then we had Larry Kudlow here. And it seems like a lot of mixed messaging. So to me, you know, this sort of helter-skelter activity, you know, down 2% on the opening, 
up one and a half percent on the close, you know, maybe that's what you better get used to if this is how they're going to be messaging. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we did have this very easy period in 2017. To me, it felt very much like a honeymoon period for the new administration, for the hope for some kind of positive economic policies that would help risk assets. But now we are in a different volatility regime. I know Jeffrey Gunlock talked about that this afternoon. And I don't think there's any quick fixes. I don't think negotiating trade that, that this president thinks has been bad for 30 years over Twitter makes a whole heck of a lot of sense and then sending out your minions to talk differently and about it. I think it. you guys are making almost the same point yeah. in that the higher the volatility, the less cushion you have to right. look through the uncertainties, whether the uncertainties stem from a possible trade war or from the Fed ma making a misstep no in rising rates. No, no question. And I think Dan, Dan really hit the nail on the head from the standpoint of the, mis the, the miscommunication or the mis-messaging, mis if you will, from the administration. Look, I mean, there's all this, you know, you know garbage about the, the post office and Amazon and the impact and the Oracle dinner and this, that, and the other thing. This market cannot rally until the mega-cap mega stocks begin to stabilize, which we're starting to see. I appreciate that. I do think we have earnings coming up. That's going to be a wild, not a wild card per se, but we have to see earnings stability and make sure that it's on track for expectations. And we just also need to get some clarity around trade. And again, the messaging on that is super important. So I think Dan hit the nail on the head on that. The messaging around trade needs to be clarified, mega cap uh, stock stability, and then I think it's all clear. At the same time, you take a look at a stock like Boeing, still finished the day 1%, granted off the lows of the session, but there are still worries. As much as we can say, you know, mixed messaging, maybe things won't be as bad, there's a lot of time to actually negotiate back and forth in this bilateral uh, trade talk with China. But it's, but, but Boeing, it's still down. Well, It's still exhibiting the uncertainty in the stock price. Because Boeing doesn't trade, you know, at, at 22 times in a bear market. It it's trades too that expensive in a bull market. to start with, is well, what you're saying. I, I think it's very easy to look at companies a little differently when the entire market is not rewarding. Boeing has done a phenomenal job of turning their business around. We've talked about it for months, so I won't get into it. Uh, but it's a free cash flow story that doesn't really get hurt that badly by China, especially when you take away um, the 737s. The wide bodies are still kicking it, blah, blah, blah. But... Um, it's the same thing we're having. We're looking at high multiple stocks, folks, in every sector right now and saying this is kind of ridiculous. OK, equities are worth something very different now than they were when rates are going higher, when the Fed's around the corner, when this administration, by the way, which is supposed to be for free markets, is letting you know if markets get too free or if we don't like the politics around them, we're going after those companies. So uh, did, that's did, a market that is not going to trade stocks at the same multiple. But I think the aspect, the, the, the risk there is that the, the, how crowded the high multiple stocks have become, the narrowness of how crowded they are. So you look at back going into 2016, there were 30 stocks within the NASDAQ 1000 tech, tech index that essentially had growth, revenue growth of 20 plus percent. A year later, it was roughly 27 stocks. Now it's 17 stocks. So it's really become much more of a crowded trade. And when you get that fear and uncertainty and everything gets pressure pointed, you get this sort of this, this, these kind of sell offs. Again, I, I keep coming back to I think Facebook, I think um, what we saw with some of these other companies, I think what we saw with the tariffs, I think it's all just noise. I go back and say the beginning of February is when this market started to see increased volatility, and it had nothing to do with any of the things we're talking about now, which is and why. And there'll be something new, though, well, guys, which I think is what you're saying. 100%. So there's going to be something new tomorrow. So go back. No one saw this right. for, for Boeing. No one talked right. about a trade war knocking these guys so, out of No one talked about Facebook. There was a regulatory so overhang, but it wasn't because they were selling data. If issues went away, if trade war goes away, yeah. 
if, if the privacy thing goes away, we'll just find another so, reason so, to have increased volatility. Well, maybe not. So let, let, let me just take the other side of this thing. So next week on Friday, we're going to have J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, all right. report mm -hmm. earnings. If you think back to mid-January when this market was really in high gear, right, after having that tailwind of the tax cuts just a few weeks earlier, the bank earnings were something that really gave people some confidence in buying the market there. I think at one point in January, the market, the S&P, was up 7%. We're probably going to see some pretty good Q1 earnings, I suspect, yeah. from a lot of these banks. You, know, you think about capital market activity, seasonally strong in Q1, that sort of thing. We've had a lot of volatility. We know over the last couple of years, that was one thing that really hurt profitability. Now we have it. So to me, bank earnings in the next week and a half or so should kind of stabilize the argument. These are also pretty cheap stocks for the most part. People are expecting further capital return. The tax cuts help them. But, so I, I'm not saying to go buy the banks right here, no, but they've been beaten up a little a bit. Good that point. should be a stabilizing factor. It's a good point because I think people want to look to earnings. And, you know, we got some home builders out today. It starts to give you a taste of what's going to be a very strong number, except for the fact that the banks were the most affected by fear of the Fed. In fact, banks took the elevator down, really, on, if you look at the XLF, from over 30 down to 27 very, very quickly on interest rate fears. Friday, we've got a payroll number. ADP today was very, very strong. Wage components of every regional survey we hear talks about price pressures from labor. It, you know, that's what people should be worried about. And then you look at technology. You got companies like a Facebook and Alphabet. Those kinds of companies with that kind of business model, what are they going to talk about on the call? They're going to talk about fear of regulation. Or analysts will ask them about sure. regulation, the impact of possible regulation. On the other side of things, you get the hardware companies. What are they going to talk about? They're going to talk about a trade war, right? I mean, that's one of the biggest exports here, which technology. Adds, which, so, which, which is huge. I'm yeah, not yeah. dismissing all the things that we're talking about. But again, you go back to when the volatility started. started on a huge wage number a little more than a month or so ago. And you're going to see something potentially the same. I remember Tim on a Thursday said, tomorrow you could see good news actually being bad news. And that's exactly what happened. So what is it this well, time around? Good news is good news. Good news is bad news. The, the wage, it's, again, I'll, let me say, it's all about, In the, line. forget about the okay. job yeah, number. Yeah, yeah. It's about right. the wages, wage growth yeah. number. So Here's if that's where, good, it's bad. Where, where I think we have gone is this perverse, and you can't have it both ways, we went from too much growth to too little. I think people are looking at some weaker macro that's really not the story, but the pressure on companies and suddenly questioning multiples. Um, you can't be there. Bottom line is, I think the earnings are going to be very good. Bottom line is, I think the economy, if anything, is going to show that it's chugging along and people are going to be scared of interest rates, not scared of no growth. This isn't first quarter 2016. All right. Well, all the chaos in Washington giving a boost to one classic safety trade. Gold hitting a two-week high today. It's up more than 2% this year. It's caught the attention of Bond King Jeffrey Gunlock. Here's what he said on the halftime report earlier today. The price of gold has been kind of off the radar screen. It's interesting how gold can't seem to get any uh, momentum above 1350, yet it doesn't drop. So that's been consolidating sideways. All three of these markets, gold, the dollar, and the 10-year, are intertwined. And they are all consolidating sideways after big moves. And so it'll be interesting to see which way they break. Well, maybe our next guest can help us figure that very question out. Char Chartmaster Carter Worth is over at the Plaza to break it all down. Hey, Carter. Yes, which way do they go? That's always the question. So let's try to figure it out for gold. Um, I thought I'd just start with this. Um, since we went off the gold standard, when Nixon in August of 71 said you cannot convert your dollars to gold, what I have here is just a table of every year where the S&P was down 10% or more. Not the case now. We're down only one. But in those years, you can see the dates there, the years there, gold performed well, uh, exceptionally well, obviously, in the inflationary period in the 70s, but even in 02 on the bottom and 08. So with that as a backdrop, I just want to look at some gold charts and then, of course, talk about gold as an asset class, because it really is that. 
um, despite what uh, many uh, critics might say. So here's the big run-up from about 200 ounce to the peak of almost 1900, and then the sell-off from 2011 to the low about a year ago. What's interesting about the sell-off is that it was an exact 50% retracement of the preceding advance. And in sort of technical parlance, that's an important thing. And it held that line and bounced beautifully. Another way to draw the lines is something known as a wedge. It's the same chart, but what you do see here, of course, is that we have started to come out of the upper band, also constructive. Let's zero in on the wedge a little tighter. So this is the wedge that's formed from the 08 low, 2011 high, and again, we've come out. We've actually broken out above that. Keep the same chart and draw the lines a different way. You can call this a big sort of rounding bottom. You could even call this a cup and handle. But either way, the premise is the same, that something has changed the better and this has upside potential. Okay, one or two more and I'm done. Gold, well-defined tops at a common level. This is the tension that Goodlock was talking about. Are we going to break out? I mean, it's, it's quite precise, but here's the best part. Look at gold's relative performance to the S&P. Having obviously underperformed the market, gold is not only going up, but it's starting to outperform and break above the relative downtrend line. Okay, so that's all the here and now. But gold is an asset. Is a gold a serious thing? Well, this chart starts from the prior bull market <coughs> high. It was the 11th of October, 2007. Gold, S&P. Even money. Gold's very real. How about from the prior, prior bull market? This is from 23 March 2000. Gold blows away, of course, blows away equities. Now one could say, wait a minute, what about dividends? Fine, next chart. Let's put with dividends reinvested. So this goes back 20 years. That means if you came out of college at 22, add 20 years, anyone who's 42 or younger, their entire investment life, gold, is a crushing investment. Is an investment, it's a very real investment. And it's coiled, it looks to me as though it's going higher. All right, Carter comes over. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not even asking I anymore. Mean, Ryan will bring the chair in. We got a cup and handle, we got a round Coil, coil, coil. Maybe. All right, so so you like gold. What are the implications for the dollar? Does that mean it goes down well, so or rates? There, there's always that, right? I mean, there is obviously uh, at certain periods of time an, an inverse relationship between the underlying currency and gold. But they're not, it's, it's, it's not so reliable as to say whenever dollars up gold. So from my point of view, at this particular juncture, I don't think it's going to be currency dependent. If gold is going to break out, it's going to be just specific to gold. Are there implications to the U.S. stock market based on your call for gold? I mean, well, is this truly first, a safety trade? First, I didn't sort of put that first table in there for nothing. Um, <laughs> uh, those were years when the market was down 10 percent. There's not a lot of those, but ending down that or more. Um, it just seems to me that uh, at this point, a lot of things that you were talking about, the risk reward's not favorable, right? There's more headwinds and more risk, I would say, to embracing equities than there is maybe to having gold as an asset class, some part of a portfolio. I was, that was going to be my question. So my pushback would be, you saw the S&P. We held all levels that we've all talked about now for weeks. Was today impressive or is there something else going on here? Yeah, I mean, very impressive, right, to have a reversal like that. But we've had a lot of that. And, 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 and you all were talking about that earlier, how this volatility maybe assigns a lower multiple. But here's an old adage uh, that, that has to be kept in mind. Sharp indecision is resolved sharply. You typically get this real debate at market transitions. Think about in the lows in 02 or 09, when people are still pressing their shorts. Citibank's going to go out of business, and other people are starting to buy. And you get these violent gyrations before you turn. 
this kind of volatility is symptomatic typically of a market bottom or a market top. Now, if this is a market bottom, that would be curious. So that goes back to Gunluck's uh, sort of point. I mean, <laughs> the fact that we couldn't break out through that 1350 level, he claims is concerning in this environment. I look at it, I, I sort of, I stand by that. Like, why didn't we break out the way well, I'm not sure he said it was clear. He said that it's it's poised to poised. either, right? And he said it obviously could break either way, right. as so many of these other. It is a fairly critical yeah. critical juncture. Um, looking at the long-term charts of gold, the retracement, the coming to life, up two percent on the year versus S&P down one. If I had to pick, let's say equities as measured by the SPY or gold as measured by GLD, I'd rather go with GLD. On that self, would you rather? Oh, look, to who's Thank self you, would Carter. You rather? Carter just yeah. did. He I said, if I were to choose between us, he just did. Thank you, Carter. Good to see you. Carter Braxtonworth, Cornerstone Macro. Every, everybody's getting, everybody's getting doing it. Getting in my grill. You better start taking control. I mean, <laughs> She's in control. Oh, You're the one who's out of control. Hey, pipe down. <laughs> Same question to you, Tim. <laughs> All right. SPY or gold right here? SPY. SP. But, but what's my? T it's always, it's always going to be what's my time horizon. So okay. if you're That's telling fair. me, I'm, you know, tomorrow, you tomorrow it might end be it's probably gold. Year. Tomorrow, to, now to the end of the year, it's it's probably SPY. And here's why: first of all, gold I think has had the tailwind in the sweet spot, whatever you you want to use of the last two years, and it's given me nothing. It's given me absolutely zero. Gold is slightly down over the last couple of years, with the dollar going down 13 percent, with rates going sideways, with Brexit, with Trump, with everything you name it, volatility-wise, it used to rally gold. I'll take the Damn, S&P. Quick. God, that was brutal. Um, you know, I would, sell, would right. rather I'd say right. gold or BK's digital gold at this point. I need to say, and I would so. say BK's digital gold. If, if okay. you're buying gold for the you know, same reasons that I think you are, as, like as a head, inflation head, 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 head. I'd rather buy the... So you'd rather have crypto well, She over... said quick. In, in this I said, seriously. Okay. Well, can okay. you not okay. be quick? I said, no, no self would you rather. She's in control, guys. She's in control. Don't bring me into this. Shush. totally owns us right now. Shush. Thank you. It is a market moment the entire crypto universe has been waiting for. The CEO of Longfin, a crypto stock under investigation by the SEC, will be here for what's sure to be a very interesting interview. You cannot miss that. Plus, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg in damage control mode speaking to reporters moments ago, and the stock is surging after hours. We'll tell you what he said. And later, the company behind one of the fastest-growing trends, eSports, just ran the first-ever sports draft for its new NBA 2K game. The CEO of Take-Two will be here to tell us why it's just the start of something even bigger. You're watching a jam-packed Fast Money from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook shares surging more than 3% after hours after CEO Mark Zuckerberg spoke to reporters on a conference call moments ago. Let's get to Julia Borson back at headquarters for all the details. Hi, Julia. Hey, Melissa. That's right. Facebook shares rose as Zuckerberg took journalists' questions about the company's data policies as well as the Cambridge Analytica scandal and all the fallout. Zuckerberg saying repeatedly that he thinks he's still the right person to run the company, but he warned that security will always be a threat. We never fully solve security. It's an arms race. And, you know, I think in retrospect, we were uh, behind and we, we didn't invest enough in it up front. You know, we had thousands of people working on security, but nowhere near the 20,000 that we're going to have uh, by the end of this year. Um, so I'm confident that we're making progress against these adversaries. But, uh, but they're very sophisticated. Zuckerberg saying they haven't yet seen any indication of the scandal impacting their ad revenue, but that they do understand they still need to ramp up security and also better inform users about how Facebook works. For some reason, we haven't been able to kick this notion for years that people think that we sell data to advertisers. 
We don't. Um, that's not been a thing that we do. It's actually it just goes counter to um, to our own incentives. Even if um, you know, even if we wanted to do that, um, it just wouldn't make sense for us to to do that. Now, of course, Facebook needs that ad revenue to keep on targeting, keep on hiring it as a target of 20,000 employees at the end of the year, just focused on security and all these data issues. Melissa? All right. Thank you very much, Julia Borston. Uh, at headquarters, I think the real headline there is uh, no meaningful impact on ad revenue from this right. delete Facebook uh, movement, if you want to call it that, even though it has no impact. How do they know? Well, they see it. They, they can see I it. Mean, the ad buyers are already you, pretty. Wouldn't you see it? All that stuff is monitored. No meaningful ad revenue impact? I mean, you don't think As that they, they well, can they, see? They may see it in real time, what, what, what's happened over the last two weeks. But, but I, I don't think you can... Look, what Facebook's going through, and this, by the way, this is the same thing I've been saying for three weeks. I'm not going to change my tune now. I think they're going through uh, a bit of an existential moment. I think people are looking at the centralized platform and saying, why am I making Facebook rich when, in fact, um, no, nothing's in it for me? Although you're getting great services and you're keeping up with your high school buddies, Dan, you know, from Syracuse and whatever. It's all good time. But, but I think if you listen to a management say we were behind, the question is, and there's no question Mark Zuckerberg is been yeah, an extraordinary entrepreneur. The stock got too but is, cheap. what's the multiple you put so that's, on this company? So that's what you, you say. Know. They're growing earnings at 40% this year. They're earnings at roughly 20% next year, 25%. So deselling a little bit, but it doesn't matter because they put up $1.75 for the quarter. This quarter, when the street's around 169 the multiple stays the same street. Numbers go higher. The stock ratchets is higher. So it doesn't matter. Well, the so stock got too I, cheap. At 150 I, I think relative to growth, I think the stock is obviously really yeah. cheap. So here's the thing. If you want to focus on the sales growth. That's if you don't focus, question growth at all. That's right. You don't so, question so the trajectory let, let, at all. Let's forget the sales growth. And let's say we, we're not going to have that sort of visibility. Mm -hmm. What they've been spending a lot of time talking about is an arms race. You just said that three right. times in that clip. And they're going to be hiring a lot of people to do a job that they do wanted margins, to do right. digitally before. And no that's going to suppress their margins. Okay. So that's really one of the reasons why. It makes their job stock, easier when they start then, to guide then. Because when they talk guidance, when they guide. Usually, doesn't make it easy, the accelerator David. pedals the margins. So Zuckerberg is going in front of Congress next week, and there are going to be some regulations in the next year. There's going to be a lot of costs associated with it. So the point that is, they don't is even that know yet. They don't even. They won't even know all I, the costs because they don't know what regulations are going to come down. No, I'm. I'm fighting. Yeah, right. we're on so, the same. So, so my point plane. is, it's like you may not see a hit to sales. You may see a different profitability like structure for this company going forward. That is the reason to be hesitant. And I just want to make one more point about Zuckerberg, okay? The guy has probably learned more in the last year than he learned in the prior 14 years. So if there's a question about who is, should right. be running this company, it should be Zuckerberg for the next but 10 years. No shot. doubt about it. Do you and buy the stock of ahead of earnings? Okay. Or do you not? Do you buy level? the stock ahead of him testifying on Capitol I think Hill? You do. I think you buy the stock now really? ahead of earnings. 150 seems to be you the line of right now. that picture of him swearing to tell the truth is going to go over well? There's a difference between business and sentiment. And right now, is driving the value of this company. Right. And I think it's, I, and I think, frankly, when they print earnings, provided they don't have a massive slide off in user growth or, or active users, engagement. Engagement. Then, then, then I think the stock takes off because the street numbers are going to have to go higher if they print a better number. Okay. Without David makes great points. I, I, I'm you, sort of more in the camp. you got to wait for earnings and see what they say. We don't know what engagement's going to be. And I right. will tell you that from all this Facebook noise that you've seen, from those ashes, other entities are going to come up. It's not going to affect this quarter, but people will find, in my opinion, an alternative to Facebook. So That's right. I think it's that's an existential it's, moment. It's, it's, but it's advertisers it's can't. That they can't. underperformed the triple Qs for two years before this happened. you got to understand, they can't. It, you know, so why should it outperform Where now? is an advertiser going to go? Scale. Scale is important here. They've got scale beyond belief. Where are they going to go? Twitter? 
Twitter's got no, 300 and something hundred. There's no way. Fair. So the scale aspect to the model is what is they might not go anywhere, but they, they, might, they might not pay the same rates if user engagement goes down. If no, user they, engagement goes down, of course they won't. Right? No, no, right. Absolutely. So that, that, that's, so that's a question that's a as to whether or not revenues are going I, I to I don't stick think around. you're going to see a meaningful impact wow, this that side quickly. Of the desk is just a little yeah, chippy, really man. Whoa, Mel. Right? I know, Mel. I don't know what's going on. Chippy or, or, or dead on. You tell yeah, me. Well, I don't know what it I think is. All right. Privacy. Not Usually. just a question for Facebook users, but users of other social platforms, including Twitter. So if you'd like to see everything Twitter knows about you and your tweet history, head over to CNBC.com right now. Check out the story. Plus, one of the hottest tech stocks is flirting with bear market territory, but a trader just bet a million bucks the floor is in. We'll tell you the name. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Game on! Fast Money is going gaming. Heading to the first NBA video game draft to talk to the CEO of Take-Two Interactive about the industry's huge growth potential. Plus, the last time the Longfin CEO appeared on Fast, he lost his mind. It's not justified. It's insane because, you see, I'm a profitable, good company. Honestly, I'm, there are people are dragging to this. This market cap is not justified. Now the SEC is breathing down his neck. But he's back in an explosive interview. And that's when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's time to dive into one of the fastest growing industries on the planet. Esports and one of the biggest names in video games setting the stage for a whole new league franchise. Eric Chemi's ready to get this game on, giving us an inside look at one of the most talked about events in the gaming world. Hi, Eric. That's right, getting our game on. The NBA held a draft today, and you might have missed it. It wasn't for the actual NBA, but something called the NBA 2K League. It's competitive competitive video gaming, more commonly known as esports. Esports is an extremely big growth area, especially as a way to grab the elusive young male audience. 17 of the NBA's 30 teams have an NBA 2K League team. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver was on hand today to announce the top pick, and that went to Artreo Boyd, a.k.a. Dimes with a Z. His video game character is a 215-pound, 6-foot, 5-inch point guard. Dimes was one of 102 players drafted today. That's six players for each of the 17 teams. And it's a big deal to even be in this draft pool because 72,000 players initially tried out for the league and they got whittled down to this small group that had its own combine that even made more cuts. Here's what Dimes had to say about beating out all that competition to be taken as the top pick in today's draft. You always want to say you're the best, but when it actually happens and I'm actually the first pick, it's, it's a different feeling. You know, everybody always asks me you know, how much I play. I don't really have a specific time, but I play every day, all day, almost literally 24 hours, man. But 16 hours, you know, I play every day as much as possible. So, and that's not going to stop now. The NBA just this week announced Intel as the presenting sponsor for its 2K League, and legend Shaquille O'Neal would be the general manager for their Sacramento franchise. The entire esports industry is projected to reach close to a billion dollars in revenue by the end of this year with 14 percent annual growth numbers. Back to you, Melissa. Staggering. Eric, thank you. Eric yep. Chami back at headquarters. Our next guest is an esports pioneer who was at the forefront of the league's launch. Strauss Zelnick is the CEO of Take Two. He joins us right here at the Nasdaq. Strauss, welcome to the Nasdaq. Welcome to Fast Money. Thanks for having me. Um, so this is going to be like a regular league in that all these teams will actually play a regular season, correct? That's right. Season starts in May, the first season in May. And, and how, how do people make money off of this? Where explain we got right sort to of that the ecosystem. Already, so we're going to have to talk about the wonderful experience. <laughs> the, look, the money will come from sponsorships, advertising, tickets, pay-per-view, and the like. 
uh, and we already have a lot of excitement. Sounds like the same stuff as regular sports. It is. A, it is a regular sport. It's exactly the same. Why do you think the trajectory in terms of the projected revenues for this industry can go that high? What is it about esports in particular? Oh, I think it's. I, I think it's still a low number. I mean, we think this is a massive business. Most analysts agree this is under a billion dollar business. And the bulk of that revenue really goes to one title now, to League of Legends. So the Overwatch League is just getting started. We're obviously just getting started. This is a nascent business. And yet there are 194 million people who define themselves as esports enthusiasts already. Another 200 million people on Earth who regularly watch esports competitions. And yet it's a beginning. So you can imagine what that could mean in terms of revenue for the business as a whole. Do you think the networks will pay attention to this as they do sports? Oh, they already are. They are. And, are uh, we going to be watching games broadcast on CBS or ABC or ESPN? Well, we haven't announced our media partner yet. Uh -huh. And uh, there's no doubt there's going to be interest where the eyeballs are. And people are going to watch esports. They already watch esports. Now, I can't guarantee they'll watch this competitive gaming set of events, but I certainly believe they will. And to the excitement today was so palpable, um, we seem to be off to a very good start. Strauss, the NBA the basketball is probably the most international game of the major sports here. Adam Silver's extraordinarily progressive. Does the NFL get involved in this at some point? Are they way behind the curve? You know, it's hard to imagine that if we are successful, and we believe we will be, that others wouldn't take notice and move ahead. We like being the first professional competitive gaming league that's based on a professional sport. Can't say what other people will do. I don't think there's room for 10 or 20 different esports. I don't think that that's likely. It's not true in professional sports either in terms of what really soaks up the bulk of the viewership and the bulk of the revenue. I think, you know, for being a first mover really matters here, but only if we deliver great quality. How meaningful is this to you as a company? It's, it's, it's enormously meaningful to us because it's so meaningful to our fans. So it's emotionally meaningful to us, and we believe no matter what, it's highly meaningful to the brand. We have said it's not yet meaningful to our numbers, either on the upside or on the downside. We've said that the expenses related to this are not material. I look at that as an asymmetric risk. If things go against us, it really doesn't matter at all. If things go for us, this could be a massive business. But what I say to our investors is, please don't underwrite to this. Look at it as an embedded call option in our stock. Um, having said that, I, I and the whole team at, at Take-Two and 2K are working as hard as we possibly can to try to, try to create success here. It sounds like you think that call option, though, is going to be worth a lot. I mean, obviously, how do you, so how do you think about how this will become meaningful <laughs> to, to Take-Two? Well, we have to see how the first revenues. season goes. Okay. And the, the judge, and Adam was asked this question today, we will be judged on the viewership. So for the two tournaments that we already had, we had a couple million viewers, that's great, but I look at it as you know, a, a start, and only a start. We need to have the kind of viewership that hundreds of millions of people who are interested should generate if you deliver a great property. I have a question that's sort of um, an aside maybe, but a guy like Dimes, I mean, he was a really captivating character, right? And I imagine <laughs> that you have 102, 101 others who are just as captivating in terms of, you know, right, he's a real personality, Dimes. Where does he come from? Well, our 72,000 people tried out came from all over the world. And they trained to do this. And, this, is, and this is their they, living or is this a hobby? This is a hobby. No one's making, very few people are making yeah. any kind of living at it now. And now for the first time, people will be actually making a living. And it is international and it's diverse. Uh, and, and it's just the beginning. I agree with you. Actually, the thing that was so palpable today was the excitement generated by these 
102 people who yesterday might have had a social media following, but frankly, few of us knew. Now there are 102 big celebrities. And, and it's like winning the lottery. You know, be able to do something you love and then do it professionally, it's unbelievable. Strauss, we're going to watch the space very closely. Thanks so much for sharing with us, Strauss Zelnick. Thanks for having me. Uh, the CEO of Take Two. <clears throat> Dan? I think it's really interesting. Uh, you know, he called it a real sport. And so when you think about on social media, what are the things that do really well? Sports does really well. Entertainment does really well. Yeah. And that's the cross section of it. So this could be actually a really interesting thing that we start to hear Jack Dorsey talk about or Zuckerberg at some point. And so the potential media partners are unlimited in a way. So to me, when you hear a CEO say embedded call option, and we know right. from Options Action 530 and Fridays, you know, you pay a certain premium for that. Yeah, you're yeah. defined your risk. And right. then there's potentially a lot of upside from that. So that's an interesting way to think about yeah. it. Well, as a guy who sat in a sold-out Madison Square Garden for League of Legends and watched how insane that environment was, yeah. you know who's paying attention is big media. It's CBS Sports. It's all, right. it's, I mean, right. this, is, this is absolutely something that these guys need to do. By the way, their online presence is where all these guys need to go. This is a no-brainer for them. And this is exciting. Stuff. I mean, if Facebook is yeah. going to pay, right, to stream Major League Baseball yeah. during the week, this, is, this seems like a no-brainer. This is real media stuff. Yeah. It's a no-brainer. Still ahead, as Bitcoin goes bust, a number of once hot so-called crypto stocks are crashing. Long thin, right? Blockchain even overstocked down sharply off their recent highs, and the SEC is looking into some of them. The CEO of Long thin, one of the most controversial stocks on that list, which is under investigation by the SEC, will join us in just a few minutes. You will not want to miss this interview. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The demise of the crypto stocks may be here as blockchain and Bitcoin-related names continue to go down. Our Bob Bassani is live at the NYSE with more. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Once high-flying companies associated with cryptocurrencies are crashing along with Bitcoin. Riot Blockchain, remember that one? Peaked at $46 in December, down 86% since then. Overstock.com peaked at 86 in early January, it's down 61% since then. And remember all those silly blockchain ETFs that started at the height of the cryptocurrency craze? That was back in early January. The SEC wouldn't even let them use the word blockchain in the title. That's how silly it got. Here's one example. The Amplified Transformational Data Sharing ETF. How's that for a title? BLOK is the symbol. It's only 14% below its January highs. Now, it says it provides access to an actively managed basket of global companies at the forefront of blockchain-based technology. It sounds good, but all the companies in it, Taiwan Semiconductors, NVIDIA, IBM, Intel, they have very little real exposure to the blockchain and very little in revenues from that. The problem is there's not enough companies that have any significant exposure to the blockchain. There's no real stocks to invest in. We need a bigger ecosphere for this. We need exchanges, for example, to go public. And that's just not happening, at least not yet. Finally, <laughs> there's Longfin, which hit $142 in December, has dropped like a rock after the company said it was being investigated by the SEC, which has requested documents related to its IPO and the acquisition of Zidu.com. That's a blockchain technology provider that offers microfinance lending. The streak of bad luck for Longfin actually started last week when FTSE Russell said the stock will be removed from its indexes. The stock did rise late in the day, and maybe because you guys on Fast Money he's the CEO would be on. Who knows? You might be moving things, Melissa. Back to you. Yeah, the intraday chart certainly tells that story. Bob, thanks. Bob Pisani okay. at the NYSE. So as you know, we had the Longfin CEO right here on Fast Money back in December. Here's a clip from that day. I have a very simple question for you. At 2.3 million shares, how much was that worth? That was what, 10, 10 15 I million? I read $5 dollars. Dollars. And in the meantime, hold on. 
In the meantime, in the meantime, Longfin gained what four billion dollars in market cap. Is that justified? It's not justified. I'm not saying it's I'm, not justified. It's not justified. It's insane because you see, I'm a profitable, good company. Honestly, I'm there. People are dragging to this. This market cap is not justified. So for this special moment, we brought in our fast money crypto baller, Brian Kelly. Um, BK, what do you think? You know, a lot of these companies have gone down. So has Bitcoin. Could yep. it just be that it's going down with the cryptocurrency? It, it could be that. It's hard. I mean, a lot of these companies out there, there are, uh, don't have a lot of exposure to crypto, right? And, you know, I can't figure out, particularly in Longfin's case, what the exposure is, actually. It doesn't seem like they have anything, but we'll find out uh, when we have the CEO on. In terms of Overstock, you know, they've had some issues with their T0 um, ICO. But there are companies outside the U.S., actually, that have significant exposure uh, to crypto. Right. In, in places like Japan, for instance, where it, it is considered legal tender. It's, absolutely. You can build a business around it. There are it. exchanges that are owned by other companies. Um, other, uh, the people who own TradeStation actually are going to be buying an exchange. Interesting. All right. Stick around, BK. Still ahead, it is a moment we have all been waiting for. The CEO of Longfin, a blockchain company being investigated by the SEC, will be here. CEO's got a lot to say, and he'll say it after this break. We've told you about Longfin and their troubles in the last block, so let's get right to it. Joining us here at the NASDAQ is a Longfin chairman and CEO, Venkat Minavali. Venkat, welcome back to the show. Great to have you with us. Thank you very much, madam. Thanks. Hello. So since the last time we've seen you, um, the stock is down significantly, about 92% from highs. Uh, you've gotten kicked off the Russell 2000. The SEC is investigating because of material weaknesses and, and other things. And the noted short seller Citron uh, has tweeted out that you are a pure stock scheme and the filings and press releases are riddled with inaccuracies <clears throat> and fraud. Why did you decide to come here on the show? See, I want, I want to tell you, like, you know, we started as a small cap company, as a job under Jobs Act, Reggae. Now, we are not an S1 company. You know, that means the companies which are evolving and going to create jobs in America and the worldwide, anyone can come and start with the taxes low and to create the jobs. That's how the Jobs Act was created, to jumpstart the businesses. So we, under Jobs Act, it's, if you look at it, like all, the, there are like, uh, we are like an emerging growth company. We are not like an S1, I had to do, like, you know, I, I, when I filed, a lot of people on, uh, out there said, you didn't file your Q3, you didn't file your Q1, like, and I have to file a six-month statement, one essay. Then I got, I became a 1933-34 Act company on November 22nd when I filed my 8A. That, that's the day. So my filing has to be for December quarter. So the full year audited financials were submitted on 31st of March. That's like, you know, the last day or second. You can see my 10K on the NASDAQ. We are a profitable company. With, if huh. you look at it, so, the, my EBITDA is 4.6 million if you take the stock compensation out. That shows we're a small company. I'm not a big company. Sure. And, and some people will say that companies that have gone, un, gone <coughs> public or gone to market under reggae, they might not have as tight financials as some other companies that are larger that go public through the normal S1 process. At the same time, what the SEC is saying, Venkat, is that there are material weaknesses and that you lack qualified personnel who fully understand GAAP accounting. I mean, those no, are very that, basic but, charges. Madam, like I, want, I, I, want to, I want to come to you on that. See, SEC never said that. I have the SEC asked me like 20 questions on that, and there are like 300 blockchain companies they are asking. It's not alone me who are related to blockchain or crypto they are asking. 
10 questions are about my financing deal with Hudson Bay, 10 questions about my Jiddu acquisition, whether I'm selling any coins to the public. I'm not doing, I'm using a blockchain for my own self. We are not selling anything. And 10 questions about my how you marketed the IPO and all the things. They never commented on material weaknesses because this is my 10K filing where my auditors commented saying that, you know, because they're, when they audited, they audited like a S1 company. And, you know, I don't need to follow SOX compliances because still I have, until I hit a $1 billion revenue. So if you look at it, my, it, I have a, a positive cash flow. If you look at my balance sheet, I have a positive cash flow. The auditors think, okay, whatever the cash is there may not be sufficient uh, for, like, you know, uh, for my future things. That is one material weakness. And second thing is I don't need to follow U.S. GAAP, but still we, because of 1934, we moved to U.S. GAAP. Because as a Jobs Act company, I can still follow IFRS also. But, so under US but what you're saying is inconsistent with what your website and what Stampede Capital, your parent company or the company that you're the chairman of, you guys talk about on those websites that you're doing billions of dollars of, of derivatives transactions. Yes. Okay, well, you're only making $4 million out of this one. You're telling you you're, you're just a growing company. When we go down to yes, your office, wait, 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 wait. When we go to your offices downtown, it's a three-person okay, office with nobody in it. Yes. So to me, when I look at that, it looks like you actually don't have a company at all. Good, and then I look at the blockchain for your, for your coin, your Zidu coin, or whatever the heck it is. Last time there was a transaction was 30 days ago for $100. Okay, coming to this. First point one. Under Jobs Act, you need to have a U.S. base. And when we started, we started at WeWork with the three people there. And I have my employees, and you can check my payroll, because my auditors are Cohen Rasnick. They audited their accounts. What and about the people that quit just before you went public? Okay, sir, I'm coming. Let me, let me answer you one after one. Like, you know, see, now we are taking a bigger space in Madison Avenue, and we are negotiating. How you many know, people we, are you employing there? See, total, see, I'm not a big manpower company, because in, as you said, we trade a lot of derivatives on CME, SGX, DGCX. There's all a notional volume. How many people, though? The total probably will have 10 to 12 people here, because I'm we I'm sorry, 10 to 20 In the United States. In the United States. And United then to, States. overall, globally, Overall, this year, probably will cross 60 people. 60 people total. Yeah, in U Dubai, we started our operations. India, we started our operations. Singapore, we have the operations. Now, we in China, we are Is open. this all long, long fin or is this Stampede uh, Capital? 100% subsidies of long fin. I'm talking about 100% subsidies of long fin in India. We already started called Longcom. And how does Stampede fit into that? Because Stampede is, long fin is billed as a subsidiary of Stampede Capital. It's, no, sir. It's, well, that's it's, what it says in your file. No, 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 sir. Stampede owns 36% of, like, long fin. Like, you know, that's the same. Not according to Filings that own 67%. No, 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 sir. I own, I own, see, because I own Stampede and see well, that. I, I'll coming to the. I, I'm looking at SEC filings. No, 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 it says no, no, it owns no, 67% no, and it says you own 27%. No, so thing, somebody's wrong. Did you not? Somebody's put the right wrong. Not, not we are wrong because you can see my 10K filings. See, I'm just right now on the NASDAQ floor. Even NASDAQ is saying, you have a free float of 6 million. From where you got, I asked him, like, and I said, from third party. I said, you know, the information, see, let me tell you, there are 76 million shares when we got listed. After that, 30 million shares are not listed on NASDAQ. NASDAQ, only Class A common shares are listed. My 30 million are Class B common stock, which is not listed at all. So out of 76 million, my CFO, because I asked him to move back to the United States, he said, I'm a Singapore, I cannot move because I have my obligations. Then I said, after the IPO, please, you know, when you're going, he agreed to return his 2 million shares because always you give the shares for the future performance. So my float is 44 million shares. And 44 million shares, I did an IPO of 1.15 million shares. And there is an independent consultant. We have given 2 million shares in September 11th, so which are freely tradable on March 11th. This is the independent consultant that denies that they're an independent consultant for you. See, 
If he is a, oh, they're, they're on record. There's a quote okay, from them so saying we are not see, an independent I'm not consultant. arguing on that. I'm just telling you, sir, on September 11th, the shares are issued. On March 11th, six months for anyone, whether it's an associate or a company or anyone, the six months lock-in period expired for him. So technically, we meet 7.11% on the Class A common stock. I just please remove the Class B common stock. Class B common stock is owned by me, which is not listed on NASDAQ. The only Class A common shares are listed. I have to ask you this. Um, and granted, this information comes from a short seller, so he's got an axe to grind, so to speak. Um, but it looks like uh, Brian was talking about Stampede Capital. There was a transfer of about 11 million shares to Stampede Capital, um, actually to your wife, giving her 51% control of Stampede Capital. My is wife, your wife be, no, no, that is Usharani, Madam, like, who, that's who sold, who then started selling the shares? See, I gave a complete disclosure and on the CNBC that I'm saying I need capital, and I sold the shares. That is in Stampede Capital. has nothing to do with Longfin. That was one and one, one and a half year back. I came publicly, and we disclosed. Every disclosure is there. I'm, see, I'm living in a capital market 16 years, not today. You know, Every disclosure <laughs> is there. There is a no pinpoint, even my 10K. You are seen, SEC never commented on my material. It is my 10K. I told them, if whatever you want, going concern, because I'm an emerging company, you put it there. That is, that is what I told them everywhere. See, you could, perfect disclosures were given in my 10K. No other company will give it. Straight to the blue. I disclosed my SEC. It's a voluntary disclosure. Even SEC is not a public inquiry. They subpoenaed so many companies. But for us, it's a voluntary disclosure. That also I told my auditors, please put it there. Okay, so everything's in the filing, you say. You Everything is completely the disclosed. The best of the There's best no disclosed. hiding that, that you're trying to transfer shares and get rid of them. Madam, I'm, tell, I'm telling you one thing. That is very, very mistaken. Because Have you sold shares yourself? Have you sold shares? Because no. you're a major shareholder. I, Have I, you been, did you sell shares at the top? I'm telling you, that's what... Because you came on the show and you said that the I'm not valuation going to sell was justified. The same statement. I told on the same TV that I'm not going to sell next three years. I'm standing on my statement. 44, okay. 44 million shares, I want 10 So million. what do you think of the valuation of the company now? Because the is, last time you had no, you were, you said that no it was not justified. What they are asking is every cryptocurrency valuation. is asked. No, valuation. Yeah, the valuation, the valuation of the company. Valuations, I'm telling the valuation you, of the See, company. on a 75 million, I made 4.6 uh, EBITDA, and we are going to grow at 100, 150% growth rate and going forward. In the street, let the street, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not, I don't deserve a 5 billion valuations and 10 billion valuation. Let the street decide its valuation. Because the street as, decided that it's 75% less than a than it was a month ago. See, is that uh, right? Because the, the street's deciding that. Yes, street is deciding because, you know, Madam, I, I, we see, I'm going to write to SEC and FINRA because of the okay. shorts. You know, because we got the information, we have a special investigation agency, we collected the short. According to us, there are 28 million shares shorted of $1.4 billion betted against me, which I have the stock trades on 14 exchanges today, $1.4 billion. The guys are trying to destroy us. I'm fighting here. I want to come and fight. You feel like you're under attack. Yes, $1.4 billion. If you want, I can send you the day-wise short at 46.67 is the average price where the shorts are there. $1.4 billion is, a, again, it's a small jobs act company. And the Russell made the mistake. We never approached the Russell that to add us because Russell takes its own decisions. Russell made the mistake. And but this... But, but you don't have much revenue is what you're saying. Sir, I have only 75 million revenue with 4.6. But then I don't, I don't understand. When I look at the website, it's, and you just said it a few minutes ago, that you trade billions of dollars in derivatives. It's a notional volume, sir. If I trade a Bitcoin, yeah. one future, it's a notional volume. If I trade... What are your margins? Yes, what are your margins? Okay, let me, let on me that, ask on you that this. business. What are your margins on that business? I told you, no, sir. The total margins are 4.6 million EBITDA I made. Like, you know, that's... It's a thin margin. I make a pip, two pips. You know, how say, many times you on the capital? But you say that you're a market maker on the CME and the ICE. Is that correct? No, sir. We, we, we actually... Acted as a market maker for a particular contract. Whenever there is a particular contract, 
they called like you know, previously they called for indian rupee now also they are sending a new contract like that similarly on sgx we do when there are particular contracts they call we are an official why do you think so you are official market not official means in in the sense they Time to time, they will sign a contract. Is there a reason why, then, you're not registered with the NFA? If no, you're an sir, official like, market maker. Market makers means in futures, derivatives, I clear through a third-party clearing member. Who do you clear through? But they, they, listen to me, sir. Like, I, I, one second, sir. Please excuse me one thing. See, CFTC or MAS in Singapore or anyone, they, when they come with a contract, this, the regulators are the exchanges themselves act as a quasi-regulator. The exchanges have a derivative. Like in Singapore, yeah. exchange GT. I'm a member of the Singapore exchange. And they will ask me a contract, can you sign to make the market? I make the market. We're out of time. Thanks for coming back. We hope you come back. Venkat Minavali of Longfin. Much more fast right after this. Time for the final trade, Tim. Of all who bounced off the 200, financials look most interesting to me, XLF. Bag. I'm actually buying Facebook into earnings. Facebook. Buy it here. I can't get over it. We all got a man crush on that Strauss. But if you like Take Two, you also should like EA here. Gee. I don't know. Yes. I, like I, think that's, I think that's accurate. And I do like Take Two. The quarter scared people, the guidance scared people, but the valuation is compelling. All right. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow again at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.